episode 97, Correcting Our Mistakes Due to the Ark of the Covenant Findings. In searching for the truth, we've made a grave mistake in thinking that the scriptures was our history when evidence says otherwise. As we were researching the scriptures in Africa with the maps of the colonizers, we came across some devastating information last year, which caused us to pause. We could not continue the Scriptures in Africa series, even though we write out our podcast three to four episodes at a time. Honestly, we were not looking for this information, but as we were researching Abraham and Solomon and Sarah, the Father led us to this article. There is so much information that is gathered that we create buckets per each episode. One bucket was for Abraham, Sarah, another one for Solomon. So we had at least three to four episodes that we we're working on. We had to stop, pray, repent, and wait for the Father to show us what to do next. At Truth Wars, we only want to give factual information. And when we make a mistake, we want to admit the mistake and let you know the truth. We made a mistake before stating that the descendants of the Atlantic slave trade were Israelites. And that is not true. We are not Israelites. Because Israel is from the pagan gods of Isis, Ra, and El. We discussed this in episode 90. Let's look at the article we came across while researching the scriptures in Africa, titled The Egyptian Origin of the Ark of the Covenant by Scott Nagel. The best non-Israelite parallel to the Ark of the Covenant comes not from Mesopotamia or Arabia, but from Egypt. The sacred bark was a ritual object deeply embedded in the Egyptian ritual and mythological landscapes. It was carried aloft in processions or pulled in a sledge or a wagon. Its purpose was to transport a god or a mummy and sometimes to dispense oracles. What? The Israelite conception of the Ark probably originated under Egyptian influence in the late Bronze Age. The Ark of the Covenant holds a prominent place in the biblical narratives surrounding the Israelites' exodus from Egypt. Its central role as a vehicle for communicating with Yahweh and as a portable priestly reliquary distinguishes it from all other aspects of the early cult. In varying detail, biblical texts ascribe to the Ark a number of functions and powers which have led scholars to see the Bible's portrayal of the Ark as the result of historical development and theological reinterpretation. While some have looked to Mesopotamia and pre-modern Baldwin societies for parallels to the Ark, the parallels have remained unconvincing and have contributed to the general view that the Ark was uniquely Israelite. Nagel proposes that we can gain greater insight into the Israelite Ark and the narratives in which it appears by looking to a hitherto overlooked parallel, the Egyptian sacred Ark. Biblical texts describe the Ark of the Covenant as a sacred object containing five major features. The first is a wooden box, in Hebrew known as the Aaron, roughly four feet by 2.5, by 2.5 and overlaid with gold. Footnote 2. The word item or acacia is a loan from Egyptian. There are a number of species of acacia that grow in Egypt. The Sinai Peninsula, Judean Desert, and the Negev. The second is a lid, the caparet, 
made entirely of gold, not plated like the box, which contains a molding running along its top edge. Footnote 3. The lid also is translated mercy seat, based on an etymological association. However, the word caparit simply means covering. Its third component is a pair of gold cherubims, or sphinx, that rest on top of the lid and face each other with their wings touching. Note that the lid was understood as God's throne, whereas the box was viewed as the footstool. Footnote 4. On the Egyptian origin of this creature, see already Albright and now Medinger. Attestations of the Syrian cognate, the Kuribu, do not permit a precise or consistent description of the creature. Thus, some appear to have animal heads, while others have human heads. Nevertheless, the Kubra commonly are described as fashion images that either stand at entrances to portals or face each other. The use of the cuneiform dinger sign marks them as a divine. Even in the Bible, there is some variation concerning this creature. The cherubim on the ark has two wings in Exodus, but four wings in Ezekiel's vision. The closest parallels are the sarcophagus of Aramim, king of Byblos, and an ivory found in Megiddo. Both objects are highly Egyptianized and depict a king seated on a cherubim-flanked throne. The latter item also features a winged solar disk and lotus offering. Many objects found in Megiddo dating to this period evince Egyptian influence, if not also a presence. On other possible parallels, including a stone throne from Lebanon and a divine statue from Cyprus, the ark's fourth feature was its wooden poles, which were inserted through four gold rings and never removed. Only the priestly tribe of Levi was permitted to carry the ark, and even then, only after they had veiled it. No one of non-priestly descent was allowed to touch it. Footnote 5. On two occasions, oxen pulled the ark on a newly constructed wagon, though this was not ordinary practice. Footnote 6. The priests were forbidden from looking at the caparit lid, hence it was veiled. Only the high priest could look at the caparit on Yom Kippur, provided he has undertaken a special rite and has changed his garments. The ark's fifth feature was its contents, the tablets of the law called the Aaron Habareth or the Aaron Hada, a jar of manna and possibly the rod of Aaron. Footnote 7. According to Josephus, the innermost sanctum was empty. In addition to serving as a reliquary, X attribute two other functions to the ark. Most prominently, it served as the symbolic presence of Yahweh. In times of war, Yahweh led as the Lord of hosts seated upon the cherubim, surrounded by standard barriers preceding him. Each standard was topped with a banner representing an Israelite tribe or family line. Footnote 8. In Exodus 17, Moses built an altar to Yahweh after his battle against the Amalekites and named it Yahweh is my banner. The identification of Yahweh with a banner is reminiscent of the Egyptian hieroglyphic representation of Ntr God with a banner. As the symbolic presence of Yahweh, the ark was connected to miracles and oracles. Thus, when the priests carried the ark into the Jordan River, the waters parted. Moses, Phinehas, Samuel, and David each received divine direction from the ark. Footnote 9 says that per 1 Chronicles 13, people did not seek oracles from the ark, 
during Saul's reign. Before the temple was built, the ark stayed at a number of sanctuaries, including Gilgal, Shechem, Bochum, Bethel, Shiloh, and Gibeon. During the visits, Yahweh would accept sacrifices and bless his sanctuaries. Finally, the ark acquired a ritual function. On Yom Kippur, the high priest would sprinkle bull's blood onto and in front of the ark's lid. Footnote 10 states, the LXX of 1 Samuel reads ephod. The instrument of divination in 2 Samuel is less clear. But Vandertoon and Hotman argue that the ephod here stands for ark and that the ark functioned for divination. They also opined that there were multiple arcs in the region whose existence was blurred by later Deuteronomist editing. If the authors are correct in arguing that the ark that David brought to Jerusalem was not a national symbol, but a solid cult object, then perhaps we should look to the tribe of Benjamin as the original locus for the object. Okay. With this in mind, Nagel proposes that the Egyptian sacred bark offers a more compelling and complete parallel for the ark. Of course, the bark was not merely a boat, but a sacred ritual object deeply embedded in the ritual and mythological landscapes of the Egyptians. Though they resembled boats, they rarely, if ever, were set in water. Even when they needed to cross the Nile, they were loaded onto barges. Usually, they were carried by hand or, in some cases, dragged on a sledge or placed on a wagon. Figure 17.3 shows barks on stands with carrying poles. The bark's most basic function was to transport gods and mummies. Again, transport gods and mummies. When transporting gods, the bark was fitted with gold-plated nails containing a divine image seated on a HWT block throne, which was veiled with a thin canopy of wood or cloth. The 17.4 figure shows the veiled bard of Amun Karnak. Amun Ra is a sun god, and we see the serpent is wrapped around the sun, and Ra is holding an Ankh cross. We talked in many episodes ago how Constantine got the Christian cross from the Egyptian Ankh, and Constantine was a devout sun worshiper. When transporting the dead, it carried sarcophagus within a covered, gold-plated catafalque. 17.5 figure shows a bark on a catafalque, the tomb of Usherat. Usherat was an Egyptian official, and his painted tomb is still preserved today for visitors. There's no one type of sacred bark, but rather many variations on a theme, each with its own set of accoutrements. Many barks were decorated with protective cherubims, such as the nails of the bark of Amun, found on City El's Mortuary Temple in Kurna, and the Bark of Horus in the Temple of Edfu. 17.6 figure shows Nehu containing cherubim. Like the Ark of the Covenant, sacred barks were carried on poles by priests, the so-called pure ones, who had performed purification rituals in order to host the bark. The bark also gave oracles. Nagel says, I know of no sacred bark whose footstool contained relics. The placing of oats beneath the feet of statues is attested. Thus, in a letter from Ramses II to the Hittite king, Pat Eusilus III, we find the following reference. 
the writing of the covenant i made to the great king and which the king of hatu has made with me lies beneath the feet of the god ra the great gods are witnesses to it okay scholars have long likened this practice to the placing of the covenantal tablets in the ark's footstool in addition from the eighteenth dynasty well into the roman period egyptians fashioned statues of god ptah so-called osiris standing upright on their own coffins of interest here is that the coffins often housed copies of the book of the dead or small corn mummies while the ramside letter and statue are not exact parallels to the ark they share the concept of text placed beneath the feet of a god figure seventeen point seven shows osiris standing on a coffin even from this cursory treatment it should be clear that the ark and the bark share much in common in both design and function and each in its own way was connected to a historicized mythology of return of course nagel states i'm not suggesting that the ark of the covenant was in fact a bark only that the bark served as a model which the israelites adapted for their own needs thus the israelites conceived of the ark not as an egyptian boat with a prow stern and oars but as a rectangular object more keen to the river rain boat that informs the shape of noah's ark nevertheless some of the bark's other aspects remained meaningful in israelite priestly culture but still represented a throne and a footstool and so it still served as a symbol of the divine presence it continued to be a sacred object that one could consult for oracles and its maintenance continued to be exclusive privilege of the priest moreover there is evidence that it retained the thonic import of its egyptian prototype in part this comes from the very name that the israelites gave the object an aaron which also and perhaps primarily means coffin as such it appears in the narratives concerning the deaths of the patriarch jacob and his son joseph both of whom were embalmed according to egyptian practice and placed in an aaron wow let's review the five components of the ark of the covenant one wooden box known as the footstool in egypt it was used as a coffin or chest known as an aaron used to transport the dead or a god number two lid of gold known as the mercy seat or god's throne egyptian coffins and chests were covered in gold three two cherubims on top of the coffins were two animal heads or human heads with wings known as the phinx they also would place two winged goddesses on the coffin as well four wood poles the coffins were carried with poles five the contents were the ten commandments manna and the rod of aaron the egyptian covenants between two pagan kings were placed at the feet or footstool of the raw god let's listen to cory a devout christian's point of view of the ark of the covenant and its egyptian origin and notice how she explains away the facts that she displays herself in her own video (laughs) 
At Sinai, God gave instructions to Moses on how to build the tent tabernacle as a sacred space. Within the tabernacle, there was to be an even more sacred space, the Holy of Holies, that would contain a gold-covered box, the Ark of the Covenant. To understand what God was communicating to his people, it's necessary to look at their culture of the time, that of Egypt's new kingdom. When we do, we discover that Egypt had many parallels to the Ark. The Bible does not call the Ark of the Covenant by the same word as the Ark of Noah or the Ark Basket of Baby Moses. Instead, it uses a word that means coffer, chest, or coffin. In Egypt, a coffin wasn't just a place to inter a dead body. It acted like a substitute body for the spirit of the deceased, a place they could return to. There are Egyptian boxes that were ceremonially wrapped in a red cloth, just like the Ark was. And with the discovery of the undisturbed tomb of King Tutankhamun, a perfectly preserved Anubis chest was revealed. These chests carried the organs of the deceased in the funeral procession to the tomb. It was a wooden box covered with gold inside and out, like the Ark. It was carried by poles attached to its bottom, its lid was referred to as the mercy seat, and a statue of Anubis sat proudly on top all features of the Ark of the Covenant, except for the idol. Rather than an idol, the Ark of the Covenant had two cherubim, angelic beings with outstretched wings that met together over the mercy seat. From between the cherubim, God's presence would meet with Israel. Protective winged creatures also created sacred space in Egypt. There are multiple examples of Egyptian winged goddesses, protectors of the divine with outstretched wings whose tips touch. So what does all of this mean? Mainly that God was using cultural imagery familiar to the Israelites to speak with them. Rather than being just another one of Egypt's gods, God was above all. Sacred, as represented by the boxes, the tabernacle structure, and the winged cherubim. Present, to speak with Israel, as represented by the mercy seat. And greater than any image, there was no idol image of God. The Ark was also a type of reliquary, a place to put sacred things. Inside the Ark at first were the tablets of the law given to Moses on Sinai. These tablets were likely flakes of stone that measured around the same size of one or two man's hands they needed to fit within the Ark. Placing them inside the Ark corresponds with the Near Eastern practice of placing a treaty at the feet of the chief god of the people. The Bible tells us that the Ark was also known as the footstool of God. These comparative studies show us that God chose to use imagery that already symbolized issues of the divine to the Israelites, but he rearranged it to reveal himself. He didn't expect them to use his language right away. Instead, he spoke to them in theirs. In the Smith's Bible Dictionary, the Ark is defined as a word adopted from the Egyptians. A chest, the word for Noah's Ark, is tabah the same as used for that of Moses, the Ark of the Covenant, an oblonged chest of acacia wood gilded 45 inches long, 27 inches wide, and 27 inches deep. It was to contain, or by its side, the Book of the Law, the Covenant, and perhaps also the Pot of Manna and Aaron's Rod. When Solomon's temple was dedicated, the Ark contained only the two tables of stone. It was to be kept in the most holy place, excluding all idols, and itself be the center of regard as denoting the presence of God on the mercy seat, which was on the lid, overshadowed by two images with wings. 
Jeremiah predicted that it should be finally abandoned as a sacred object. Hmm. It rested at Shiloh until the superstitious warriors took it into battle and lost it to the Philistines. Not long after its recovery, it was placed in the temple. It is believed to have been burned when the Babylonians destroyed Solomon's temple. Chest means Aaron or Genizim, meaning Ark of the Covenant, Joseph's coffin, and the contribution box in the temple, treasuries, and Esther. Mercy seat, caparet, the lid of the Ark of the Covenant. These definitions are from the Smith's Bible Dictionary. Jordan Maxwell, writer and researcher, has this to say about his research of the Ark of the Covenant. If you remember Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, Indiana Jones and the uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, first of all, when Indiana Jones is going out to look for the Lost Ark, we're talking about the Ark of the Covenant, where's the first place he goes to? He goes to Tibet. Now, why would you go to Tibet if you're looking for the Hebrew Lost Ark of the Covenant? Well, it's because Tibet has something very, very important connected to that symbol of the Ark of the Covenant. You better go back and look at the Buddhists and the Tibetans to understand the Ark of the Covenant, period. Second, where does he go? Once he goes to Tibet, who does he find up in Tibet looking for the lost Ark if it isn't a Nazi? And consequently, where did, where did they go from there? He goes directly to the Holy Land to look for the lost Ark of the Covenant. No, he goes to Egypt. Why Egypt? It's because Steven Spielberg has many things, but stupid ain't one of them. He goes to Egypt because the whole idea of the, of the lost Ark is Egyptian, not Hebrew. A thousand years before Hebrews were ever in the area called Egypt, they had, the Egyptians had something called the Ark of the Contract. The Ark of the Contract, which I will show you, the Ark of the Contract was a box with two angels wings, uh, with wings over it, and it was an Egyptian symbol, and it symbolized a contract that the pharaohs had made with the gods who came down here from Sirius, from the, from the ancient star system of Sirius. They were called, and Sirius is called the Dog Star. And consequently, you take Dog, D-O-G, and turn it around for us, it becomes God. G-O-D is Dog spelled backwards. It goes back to Sirius, the Dog Star. It goes back to Anubis in, in the Egyptian. So that the, the Ark of the Contract became known as the Ark of the Covenant. No, it's the Ark of the Contract, and it was a thousand years before Hebrews ever had it. Now, this is the uh, Ark of God. Uh, you'll see this is the New York State Seal. In New York, the uh, State of New York Seal, you will see in the middle is the Lost Ark of the Covenant. Here it is, the Ark of the Covenant. You remember this from Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark? And uh, here it is again. <clears throat> Incidentally, the uh, Ark, the box itself represented the female, uh, the female, the ability to give life. And so the priest would drop blood in front of the Ark, representing the menstrual cycle of the female because it had again to do with sex. So we see uh, bringing the, the, the Ark of the Covenant, okay? Now from Smith's Bible Dictionary, we're given to understand that the, the box with the handles and the angel's wings, etc. Uh, Smith's Bible Dictionary. 
in Smith's Bible Dictionary, look up the word ark. Thought I had a larger. Anyway, the word was adopted from the Egyptian. There's an Egyptian ark. It goes on to say that the ark was a ark of the contract in Egypt, which was copied later by the Hebrews and called the Ark of the Covenant. Here's a dictionary of the Bible, another one, and there again, you look up the word Ark and it will tell you it was an Egyptian Ark. The Egyptians had and came up with the idea of a sacred Ark. <clears throat> there is the Ark that was found in King Tutankhamun's uh, tomb when they found the tomb of King Tut. There is uh, King Tutankhamun's Ark that was found in his tomb. Here it is again, you will see the Egyptians carrying uh, the ark. Again, you will see um, at the top left, they're carrying the, the holy ark. This is the Egyptian, not Hebrew. This is a thousand years before Hebrews were ever even near Egypt. They had the lost ark. Now, in the old time religion book written by Jordan Maxwell, he states, the idea of the Ark of the Covenant was copied from the Egyptians. Cadians and Chaldeans Ark Shrines. The Egyptian Arks were in existence centuries before the Hebrews adopted the Ark of the Covenant. Wow. This leads us back to our timeline, which has not changed. We just added the Ugarithic writing system, which came before the Phoenicians. This timeline is the foundation on why the Ark of the Covenant is from Egypt. Honestly, we should not be surprised. Truth Wars made the mistake of trying to include us, the descendants of the Atlantic slave trade, into their narratives, into their history. We are sorry. Please forgive us. Clearly, this is not our history. And if it is our history, we don't want this history. We were doing our own thing in the Congo before they snatched us to this place and gave us their Christianity and their Bibles. The Bible is their history and not ours. Unless you want to be a part of their pagan customs, you are welcome to continue interjecting yourself into their narratives. Truth Wars cannot do it and will not do it. It's a no. There are lots of truths in the Bible, and these truths are their truths. And of course, there are lots of discrepancies and mistruths in the Bible as well. But that's their history that they made us follow. We can learn from the Tower of Babel, Sodom and Gomorrah, David and his foolishness of what not to do. Again, that is their history. As descendants of the Atlantic slave trade, we are trying to figure all of this stuff out. And we have made mistakes over and over again, which is why we have to repent often over here. We've been trying to fit ourselves into a narrative, into scriptures that never intended to include us. The scriptures of the Bible is their history. It's a history book. They just wanted us to follow along as their slaves and obey them. Them being our masters per the scriptures that they wrote. There's no way in the world that truth wars will continue to follow anything that's of a pagan origin. It's an absolute no. The Ark of the Covenant is from the Egyptian origin of them burying their dead and their pagan worship practices. And there's no way the Father would need to talk to us from a pagan stance to get us to hear him and obey him. It doesn't make sense. 
we can seek the father for ourselves which is what truth roars has stressed from the beginning of this podcast seek the creator of heaven and earth for yourself know the father's voice and obey period and research everything we had his name wrong we knew it was not jesus because the letter j is barely 500 years old we learned his name is not yah or yahweh or y-h-w-h because that's clearly a canaanite god we are not israelites because they worship isis ra and el as well as yah and the continent of africa is not as small as the maps show us it's like three four five six times bigger than what is shown on the maps so where is the entire continent outside of egypt in the bible where is it civilization began in africa and truth wars is researching where the African culture is in the Bible. Where is it? Yes, the colonizers are putting the names of biblical cities and countries on their African maps, but it's still from the colonizers. Here at Truth Wars, we call him Father, the creator of heaven and earth, because we do not want to participate in their paganism. The Bible is their history and not ours. I know it's difficult to comprehend, and it's going to take some time to process all of this truth and information. And many of you are probably already here and know these truths because things were never adding up for you when it came to the scriptures. Our source and our guide is the creator of the heavens and earth. And he has graciously led us this far and will continue to lead us. We trust in the Father alone and we must come to understand that that is enough. The Father is enough. We pray for guidance we pray that the Father continues to lead us into truth. And we pray that the Father will lead us into our own truth. We need to be more specific. Father, please lead me to the truth of my own family line. Our truth begins in daily prayer and communication with the Father. Truth begins by learning the history of your mother, of your father, your grandparents, your great-great-grandparents, and so on. Have we taken the time to even sit and listen to them to see what they have to say and not just listen, but write it down? The truth of who we are is in our family lines. The truth of who we are is knowing the father's voice to listen and obey because some things will be good and other things will be wrong or not for you and your family. Have we even visited the continent of Africa? We were told as children that it was the worst place to visit. But the colonizers have been there. South Africa is so colonized that it's absolutely insane. Houses are being sold in the millions for each house. Many of us from the Atlantic slave trade came from the Congo area, which is the central or top part of South Africa. Below the equator was called Southern Africa. And when you find the Congo in the Bible, let a sister know. Because Truth Wars has yet to find the Congo in their Bible. We end this episode in seashells with a video from the National Museum of History. Seashells is a beautiful island off the continent of Africa. This picture is titled, It's the Landing of Father Leon des Avancers in 1851. It states, Father Leon arrived in seashells on March the 1st, 1851. During the three weeks he baptized, 2,500 Africans and dedicated them to the Catholic mission 
of seashells to the Immaculate Conception. He returned to seashells in December 1853, where he established the parish of St. Michael Archange at Ant's Ox Pens and built a chapel in Victoria, which later extended to become a cathedral. He baptized another 1,300 Africans, blessed 200 weddings, and celebrated 100 first communions. Their history is not our history, even though they have tried to make their history our history. It's a no. Here is the Seashells video. And from here, you can see a picture from the first people who came to, to, uh, to, to give religious knowledge to the people of Seychelles. It was called Père Lionel Apache. This was in 1852. He came here for about two months to convert people into Christianity. As we seek truth, please seek truth with us. We don't claim to know everything. We just seek the creator of heaven and earth that does know everything. Let truth roar. Let truth reign. Let truth speak. And let truth set you and your entire family free. Truth roars. Truth reigns. Truth speaks. Truth sets me free. Oh, yes, it does. Please see our podcast disclaimer at truthwars.com. And thanks for watching and please subscribe to our YouTube channel.